Well, good morning, welcome. My name is Liz, and I'm one of the pastors here. It's Easter, Easter Sunday morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! So, today as we come to celebrate together, it's kind of interesting to just think a little moment about what it is. We've gone through the story over the last two weeks, and we've, we've talked about this man, Jesus, who died on a cross and then who um, came back to life. But to be honest, lots of men died on crosses at the time of Jesus. And we also know stories of other people who were brought back to life. So what is it that makes this story not just as celebrating someone dying and rising again, but celebrating the apex of God's story and his relationship with his people? Celebrating the resolution of the strings of the Old Testament coming together in a powerful moment before opening up a glorious resurrection and a new and amazing chapter of the story of God with his people. So what is it about the story that makes it quite so different? Well, let's go back over this last week as we have thought and pondered. Two weeks ago, in fact, on Passion Sunday, we talked about who did Jesus think that he was? And we remember that he knew that he was God's beloved son and that he was called to preach to both the Jews and the Gentiles and that he was announced as the cornerstone between all people, between the people and his father. And then on Palm Sunday, just last week, we waved our branches and recalled that Jesus entered Jerusalem not on a war horse, but on a donkey. They came to bring peace. And his message was somehow one of love from a creator God, from the one he knew as father. We also remember that he was introducing a completely counterintuitive kingdom, one that was built on humility and self-giving, one which was built on a motive of pure love. And this last week, we remembered on Maundy Thursday as we sat and watched and listened we remember the Last Supper, Jesus reminding his disciples that he had come to serve as he washed their feet. We listen to that account of his, loves and, of his love of his friends and then the betrayal by one of his close disciples. We were reminded of the prayers of agony in the garden, tears of blood on his forehead, because his kingdom was founded as well on servanthood. And on Good Friday, we remember the physical and emotional and spiritual distress as he died on the cross, his sense of separation by his, from his father, abandonment with all whom he had always been so close, a sense of being alone and forsaken, and in excruciating pain, Jesus stepped into his calling and absorbed the pain of a sinful body into his, sinful world into his sinless body experiencing the shocking horror of all that is evil. We remember that his kingdom was built on self-giving. The Eucharistic prayer that we're going to pray quite shortly says this, By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all that by his suffering and death, we might be saved. And in the noonday prayer, we pr pray regularly. It also says this collect, blessed Savior, at this hour you hung upon the cross, stretching out your loving arms. 
Grant that all the peoples of the earth may look to you and be saved for your tender mercy's sake. Amen. He stretched out his arms. Jesus stretched out his loving arms. Now, as you um, know, I love a little bit of community participation. So what I'm going to encourage you to do is if you are able and want to, I'd like you to stand up. Yes, I do, really. I mean, you don't have to. Now, imagine yourself stretching out your arms to welcome like a child. Okay, so maybe you kind of down. And then maybe you're stretching out to welcome a bunch of friends, a whole lot of family. So stretch, stretch your arms out. But now take a little bit further, stretch them back. Stretch them as far back as you can. Yeah, pregnant women are exempted. <laughs> stretch them that bit further. And then this becomes, it goes from being a gesture of love to a gesture of complete vulnerability, of abandonment, of giving yourself up. This is a gesture of submission. Feel it, your arms go back, and then feel them being tied roughly to a beam of wood by hands which don't know love. Okay, you can relax, you can sit down. That movement from love to abandonment is one I want you to hold on to this morning. That sense of a loving stretch, but then going so much further into vulnerability, surrender, submission. Willingly, painfully, intentionally, Jesus stretched out his arms, and then he voluntarily gave up his spirit. After he had cared for his mother, and announced that he felt abandoned. Still, he moved forward. He knew what he was doing. He acknowledged the pain. He did not try to evade or escape. And so he dies. We sat yesterday in the quiet of Holy Saturday. Perhaps you fasted. Perhaps you ate lentil soup. Perhaps you listened to Bach's and Matthew's passion soaking in the beauty of the music. We remembered that Jesus' friends and his mother sat behind locked doors, weeping, grieving, thinking all was lost and all was over, believing that they'd reached the end of a road which they weren't expecting. Hopeless despair, desolation. But even as on the cross we saw the moment when Jesus died, there was an extraordinary thing that happened as he gave up his spirit. There was a sense of almost like a leakage of power. Although Jesus had been contained in a physical human body, at the moment of his death, the world convulsed. The effect of Christ's death ricocheted through all space and time. There was darkness over the earth. Tombs opened. Dead people came back to life. The temple, temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. Because as the Eucharist prayer continues, by his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. So even as his family mourned, the world was changing. And so when the women rushed to the tomb at first daybreak, they encountered not a slightly melodorous body, but angels, an empty tomb, messages of life and hope. And then there's a sense of gathering impetus in the story. There were these encounters with Jesus in the garden on a dusty road. We have stories of disciples running backwards and forwards, breathless with excitement and disbelief and hope. 
that initial fear and grief bursting into glorious delight as the previous incomprehensible truth that Jesus really was alive. And then a slow and dawning realization that Jesus truly was not simply a man, that Jesus was indeed God incarnate, that Jesus really did die for us and our salvation. And to be honest, I suspect for most people that realization came slowly, building up in hours, days, weeks, months, and then years as the early church grappled with these events and came to understand more fully the quite remarkable truth about who Jesus was and is. A growing understanding that Jesus was fully God and fully man and that this kingdom was founded on himself. And now Jesus was risen from the dead and we all indeed shout hallelujah. But it's so interesting that when Jesus rose, he was once again contained in a body. He chose to kind of restrain his God self in the form of an incarnated person. He contained himself by still speaking in a language that everyone understood, by moving in ways that wouldn't frighten them. Well, okay, he passed through occasional locked door, um, but on the whole, he was very understanding of their limited comprehension and understanding. He cooked fish, he reasoned and preached, he looked and sounded, and presumably, once the guys on the road to Emmaus had worked it out, they walked and talked just like Jesus. But everything was different. Everything had changed because Jesus had indeed now vanquished Satan and death. But yet what I love about the resurrection stories of Jesus is the things that he does first of all. His first moves are to comfort those who loved him most dearly, to bring a message of reassurance, of peace, and of hope, and then to begin to galvanize his followers, to begin to explain to them how it all fitted together. He strengthened them. I love the way he encouraged Peter and went to him quite deliberately and forgave him on the beach, cooked him breakfast. And later on, Peter made that speech we heard read so beautifully from Acts. And it was a speech that Peter made a few years later after he had no doubt grown significantly in his understanding of the resurrection. It was a speech that could only be made by a forgiven Peter, a speech where he began to say, this is what I experienced. I experienced Jesus. I now know and understand how he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. I remember and can tell you about the times when he healed. I remember the good deeds he did. I remember the people that he rose from the dead. Peter reminds people that he knew the man Jesus, that he walked and talked and ate and followed him, that he lived daily life with him. Peter reminded them about the way that Jesus had healed those oppressed by Satan. He reminded people that it all made sense and that he could see how God had been with Jesus. And then Peter can tell with great authority the story of the Last Supper, the story of the trial, the story of his own betrayal, denial of Jesus. I'm sure every time he told about that night, there was that sense of, tightening in his stomach as he remembered. But then also the lightning as he remembered how Jesus came to him on the beach and forgave him and commissioned him 
and sent him out and told him what he needed to do. But Peter also remembers all the other witnesses, and he says, don't forget that there were the first women at the tomb, then Peter and John, then the couple on the road to Emmaus, other disciples and Thomas, and then to larger and larger crowds. Peter reminds them that there were many who testified to the resurrection. And then he looks back throughout Scripture and says, and the prophets. Jesus made sense of all the strands that had come together that had been woven through the centuries. And so Peter says, not only does God testify, not only do I testify, not only do the women testify, and the other disciples testify, but the prophets testify. Jesus was not simply a prophet. He is the one whose name has power to forgive, something which only God can do. And to today, we shout out our hallelujahs and come with gratitude to an empty tomb, rejoicing that the cross and the tomb are both now empty, that Jesus is indeed our victorious God most high, and that he died so that all who come to be forgiven might be forgiven. Jesus stretched out his loving arms in an embrace for all of us. And now, because of that moment, we are all viewed by God through that filter, like a UV filter filters things out for a photographer. So Jesus, as we come to him, filters out our sin as he forgives us. And so today, as you come to the table in a moment, as you ask God to forgive you for your sins, will you thank him also for that loving embrace, which includes you, in that all-encompassing forgiveness. Give thanks today that Jesus was fully human, but also fully God, that you are loved, you are forgiven, and you're invited to join the history of all those who testify to a God who stretches out his arms. Amen.